You are listening to the Coach's Ed Podcast, exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network. Uh, hello, everybody. This is Pablo with Coach Development, and um, I'm really happy here. We have one of our NTDs and the Technical Director of Hawaii Rush, Arian Oxa. How are you doing, Arian? Good, Pablo. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. So, um, Arian, if you would like to, um, they, they know me, so let's talk about yourself. If you want to give a little intro about yourself, your background um, as a player, as a coach, and um, how you ended up in this beautiful club in Hawaii. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, thank you, Pablo, for having me um, on the podcast. Um, I hope that everybody's staying safe out there, and um, we're we're trying to do the same. Um, so... <laughs> Without any further delay, um, uh, my name is Arian Hawks. I'm the technical director for Hawaii Rush, and I also um, am one of the technical directors for uh, Rush Soccer. Um, a, a little bit about me, uh, I grew up in a country called Albania, was born in Tirana on the capital, uh, grew up as a youth player out there. He uh, is a European country, so football or soccer is basically the main sport, the main attraction, um, especially boys um, are always uh, drawn into to the game. So, of course, um, I had the same fate, um, learned how to understand and, and play the game, obviously, in the streets. Many can relate, but many cannot. Um, we... Uh, you, you had to, to go through the steps of uh, being accepted in the neighborhood to play. Um, people don't understand how much uh, the passion is created basically on those first years that you're struggling to even get in the game within the neighborhood um, game. Um, anyway, let's fast forward a little bit. I ended up playing on a youth uh, team in Tirana for a club that is called Dinamo. Um, although I was a, a flaming fan of a different uh, team, um, which is called the Partizan Tirana. And I grew mm -hmm. up as a fan of Partizan while playing uh, on the Dinamo youth system. Um, my mom was completely against it. My dad was impartial. He was a fan of a, a third team in the city, which is called Tirana. Um, it's the... the uh, the team of the locals, um, quote unquote, of course. And so you can imagine the uh, of my background, how I went through the, the game as a youth player, where my mother didn't even want me to play. My dad didn't care. And um, I was a fan of a different club, but it all worked out. Um, unfortunately, uh, my, my youth career got interrupted because um, the country went through some turmoil in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. I found myself leaving the country um, due to some circumstances we don't need to get into. Um, and um, I immigrated to the United States where I went to school right away and uh, got involved again playing um, on, a, um, on a college level. Uh, I played for Metro State University of Denver um, and uh, graduated from there actually with a degree related to the sport. Uh, I got a degree on coaching, which I chose to do. And since the university didn't offer that degree, I had to have a panel create an independent uh, study degree for that school. Um, after I graduated, um, I've been working since uh, in youth soccer, and um, it's been uh, about 28 years now that I've been coaching. Obviously, not all the 28 years at a high level. I had my um, I had my years where I had to pay my dues and uh, coach at lower levels to learn and to to get uh, a, the profession is about. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me. And, um, hopefully they gave a little bit of a picture without lingering too long. No, no, that's, 
definitely a picture that I can relate to, actually. The, the days of playing on the street, uh, the parents that actually don't want you to get involved in this. And uh, yeah, growing up in South America was the same. Um, anyway, and uh, but that's really interesting, actually. So and, and how did you go from from Colorado to Hawaii? And, and how did you get involved with the Rush? Um, the uh, first time I got involved with the Rush um, was back in uh, 1998. Um, I was coaching for a smaller club in Denver um, called um, Whitridge Avalanche, very small club with two, three mm-hmm. students. And uh, it just happened that we were big rivals with Rush. And uh, Rush had just been created at that time from Lakewood and uh, Columbine. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was I was uh, basically a rival team to uh, at that time Andrew Comer was my uh, rival. He he had the eight the same age group boys. Um, so we would we would battle it out, and we ended up in the state cup finals with them. And again, the, you know how it works, right? The little guy fighting the big guy, David and Goliath, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Of course they won. They were very good. You know, they had like Jay Nolly and Gold that time. We had some major players in there. Very, very good. So good try from us, but we had no. But that kind of sparked a little bit of discussion where Andrew kind of approached me and said, hey, what do you think of maybe joining us? I see some good stuff. Um, Ended up talking to Tim Schultz briefly, and he um, welcomed me, and he made me feel really comfortable. So to be quite honest, I felt that – the future for the boys that I was coaching would have been uh, enhanced and, and much, much better served if we did actually join a club that um, had a different kind of vision and a different approach at the time that I could relate a little bit, that I saw it was more organized, more focused, uh, had some, some good goals and aspirations, where to go. And there is well, so... Uh, to be quite honest, at, at that time, it was no brainer for me that even with my ambition to get better and to, to be a coach that I could make a difference, this was kind of a pathway that I felt um, it would have given me that opportunity. Win for me and for my kids. Amazing. Amazing. And, and how long did you stay um, coaching in in Colorado? Um, I was in Colorado till 2006. Uh-huh. Um, again, started just coaching some teams. Uh, about two years later, after I started with them, um, we we won regionals in Pleasanton um, with the team that I was coaching. Um, so it kind of things kind of fell in place quickly for me. Um, it wasn't all a small ride. I was a bit of a rebel. I was a bit of a different kind of material. Um, mm. And, of course, got in trouble several times, you know, because of uh, being aggressive on recruiting, not uh, not being very considerate about the state laws. Um, and I and I say that this with no regret, to be quite honest, even though at the time uh, I had to go through all sorts of uh, uh, hearings with the with the league and all that and. To be quite honest, I I, uh, I prevailed, and, and uh, the way that I did things were not necessarily illegal. I just was uh, able to get around the rules, and uh, at that I didn't feel that I was doing anything wrong. You know, I, mm-hmm. it was just a, a way to exploit the situation and get the best for the kids and for the club. So, um, I I got uh, great support from Tim, uh, which I appreciate, and so. At that point, I just started getting a little bit more uh, passionate about it. And I, I started kind of looking into maybe uh, becoming a director or becoming a leader outside of mm. just the coaching of a team. So at that point, that's, I think that's the background, how my passion for becoming a, a club director uh, kind of started. Very good. And how um and what about Hawaii Rush? How 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 did that start? Hawaii Rush was a, a very lucky thing. It's a it's almost like a freak coincidence. Uh, my wife is from Hawaii, 
So she went to CU Denver. She graduated from there and met right after she graduated. And so basically the rest is history. I've been with her since. Mm. And we got married and, um, you know, she she was a very incredible supporter of, of my years that I was trying to break through and make it because obviously, as everybody knows, the soccer at the time wasn't necessarily the best um, source of income and so she she really supported me so um i appreciate that so much and and um at some point we wanted to start a family and so she asked me to basically uh move back into hawaii because she wanted to start the family um it was kind of a devastating news to me at the time because here i was Mm. getting up the ladder pretty quickly and I went and got my UEFA license in Europe and spent a lot of time and effort and, and resources. And I was going in another direction, basically. And here she goes, dropping a bomb on me and saying, I want to go back home. Yeah. And so everything had to be kind of kind of go a different direction. And at the moment, I, I didn't have any answers until something incredible, incredible happened that... Um, some Hawaii group had just reached out to Tim about a possibility of Rush expanding to Hawaii. And you can imagine he kind of turned to me and said, look, you, you go there all the time. You're familiar with the community. Can you kind of take this over? So I did. And then, um, unfortunately, things didn't go very well here. The technical director here resigned. The club was in shambles. So I had to spend a lot of time coming back and forth just to keep it going. And then the the board here approached me out of the blue saying, would Rush be interested on in sending somebody from mainland? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can imagine from there not to go anymore into the drama, but I just went home, told my wife, and the rest is history, you know? Wow. So incredible. I mean, <laughs> I was going to say, I mean... I don't know. I, I don't know how how to say it in English, but you know when they say luck, luck favors the those that that seek for it. You know, passionately. But um, you did have some. You did have some. That was that was that was a pretty lucky. That was that was great timing, at least. Incredible coincidence. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Hey, and um, so you said that you started in 1998. So that's 22 years from now. Wow, that's a long time. What, what do you think? Um, why rush? What do you think made it made it or makes it special for you to still be a rush guy after all these years? Well, one of the things that makes it special for me is that, again, if you know my culture, my background, guys, that um, loyalty on the game is is a key. You know, so mm-hmm. just that alone, just the fact that all these years that I spent. Uh, in this um, entity, in this club, just automatically make make it really special to me, and I, I can't see myself, you know, changing or doing anything um, outside of Rush. I'm not saying that I, I I'm not open to anything. I'm just saying that um, this is this is my home. This is my you know the place that I feel comfortable, and it will never change. You know. Um, also. Uh, Russia is such an avant-garde concept that Mm. it's still 22 years later that there's there's hardly anybody else that is trying to even uh, emulate or or, or copy what we do because it's not easy because it's very, very um, intricate and and complicated. And Mm. uh, just, just the concept and the idea alone would take some very busy people that, you know, would even venture into uh, the concept, let alone believing that, hey, some 22 years uh, later, we're still one of the top, if not the top club in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it's all relative because a lot of people say, well, you don't win anymore. You don't do this. You don't do that. And that's all relative because uh, again, uh, it has become very difficult to win. It has become uh, much more difficult to move along and, and, and get ahead so far from people because 
the country has improved in the coaching aspects and the management aspects, and there's a lot of competition in that regard. But to have a group of almost 50 clubs function as one club, that right there is the huge difference, you know, where everybody else has got one club to run, and it's 50 of us. Even though yeah. we all run independent, when you say rush, I mean 50, you know what I mean? Completely, completely, completely. No, it's 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 incredible. I mean, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to stand in your shoes and think like, wow, from 1998, where where this club was, and where it is now, with 40,000 players all over the world, it's it's exponential. The growth has been, it, it has been, it, it's it's special. Something special happened, um, and it's amazing. Um, and you know. I, I hear that what you were saying, like sometimes people say, hey, well, but you're not winning anymore or not as much as you used to and things like that. And I always say the same. I'm, and I think that that makes the rush unique as well. That it's, um, we're not just a club for the top player. And I think that really makes uh, rush very special, very different from others. You know, We actually care about the 100% of our players and not just the 1% that are top players. I would say I would say that um, it used to be a very uh, very um, high end um, parameter ten fifteen mm -hmm. years ago, and it has subsided quite a bit throughout the country. And partially because the country is starting to figure out that maybe winning is not the only parameter or the parameter. Um, some of it based on, you know, the improvements with all the leagues like the MLS and uh, the academies and all that. People are starting to figure out that, you know, you don't have to win to create a player or to, to improve a player. Mm -hmm. And some of it is because the other aspect of it, the other uh, side of the spectrum where there's so many things to win nowadays that it has watered down that parameter quite a bit. Uh, sure. Whether you like it or not, it's the reality. Uh, now, even a third, fourth level club, team, whatever, can win a trophy and they can say, well, we're winners. And nobody mm -hmm. can tell them, no, you're not a winner. Um, and so, uh, not to get off topic, but that's what really upsets me when the country doesn't have a, a system like they used to have. Even though not the best system, maybe, maybe not the best system, but good enough where everybody was in the same page and there was a national championship. You went through it through regionals and we all had the same kind of opportunity to be, uh, lack of better terms or to be classified as a club, yeah. whether you're a winner or loser or you're a good club or you're a bad club, whatever, whatever, you know, and the language could be a little bit more uh, tactful there. But my point is that we don't know anymore uh, under the platform that we operate right now in the country who really is doing a good job and who really is just winging it because no, completely. there's so many ways of showing that you can achieve something. Completely. So, it's, it's such a shame, you know, it's, I, I always say the same. It's such a shame, like so many different leagues. So it's everything is so separated. It's incredible that we haven't figured how, how to unify a unique pathway that actually gets the best teams, the best players in the same, in the same avenue. So not only you can compare, but also favors the competition, right? So, in my um, in, yeah. sorry, in my opinion, no, it's a it's a simple um, thought that it's got to be two, maybe three layers, where you have the grassroots layer with mostly recreational. You have the main layer with competitive side of soccer, and then you have the academy layer, where mm -hmm. from top to bottom everything feeds to one. Uh, ultimate goal, which is the academy. And then the academy can also feed up to the MLS and all that. To me, that's a very simple, very comprehensive way of thinking of how soccer can be structured in the United States. For But for some reason, uh, we cannot get into the same page to, to understand that that could ultimately bring, uh, bring the, the best for everybody. And even though um, some clubs might be on the grassroots and some clubs might be in the middle portion, some clubs are not. It doesn't matter to me, you know. 
mm-hmm. we all will have a, a we all will have a, a job to do or a function or a some sort of uh, um, what's the word I want to get here? Uh, we we're we're uh, um, my God, that's that's why I'm a foreigner. I don't know English words. <laughs> don't worry, me too. Relevant, relevant. That's my that's my word. Uh, we we all will be relevant at some at some level, you know, wherever we are. So so let's get away from the ambition of being a DA or being this or being that. How about being significant at whatever level you are? Even if you are grassroots, are you the best grassroots club in the in the country? Can you exactly. do the job? Can you push the players to the next level? So that's how I look at it. No, completely, completely. And if we get and if we get um um into this this very interesting technical side, um, after all of these years, and um, and I, and I say this because I know that as a coach. We're always evolving in our, in our own philosophy, in our own approaches, in our own ideas. It's from we do as people. What's your what's your coaching philosophy in that sense? Um, my my philosophy. Um, it's kind of difficult to put it in words, but um, I'll try to to give you like maybe a few bullets that could be easily followed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I believe that. Um, the way that um, we communicate and demonstrate our, our, you know, um, our understanding of the game is key. Um, we have to be consistent on how it's communicated and how it's demonstrated. You know, I believe that if, if you really want to instill the, the proper techniques and the proper understanding, the proper, proper uh, mentality in the kids, you have to communicate that clearly, quantify it, and then obviously demonstrate it and, and making sure that they understand it completely. Mm-hmm. Um, train with incredible, a lot of attention to details. And what I mean by that is that you, you have to understand that the, in order for the kids to perform a skill, you can't just ask them to get a phone and start doing dribbling on their own and and just doing all the skills and all that without any pressure, without any circumstances that will force them to prevail in a game. You, you have to provide those details. You have to provide that environment and you have to bring it up to them constantly. If, if their pass is not good enough, it's not strong enough, it's not crisp enough, then that needs to be reiterated over and over. If, if the technique, their body shape, their um, understanding or um, anything that's related to a performance that it's expected from the teammates and the coaches needs to be always brought up. You know, their attitude, they lost the ball. Did they have the immediate reaction of getting it back? Is that working? Is not working? These are some of the examples, what I mean by by the details. Oh, completely. The devil is in the details, right? Yeah, I, I um, believe in those things. So, you know, a little bit of a back clearance and you're dead yeah. in the game. So, Of course, details are huge. I'm a huge detail guy. Um, next would maybe for me, um, the way that we execute, executing everything that we teach in games. So the expectations are that if I taught it to you in training, then the idea is that you a kid you know, be able to uh, execute that exact or as close as possible in the games because mm-hmm. then we, we cannot relate, you know, if that's not uh, done in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, after, after that, maybe evaluate everything. Um, as a coach, I have to look at the performance. I have to look at the areas that either were good, bad, mediocre. Uh, and then I have to make sure that that evaluation um, trickles down all the way to uh, the kids again, which brings me to my last bullet, which is uh, the way that we give feedback, you know, related mm-hmm. specifically to the principles or the content that we taught the players. You can't get in front of players and just talk general. You can't get in front of them and just tell them, you guys didn't play well. You guys, you know, uh, just did not have the passion. You guys didn't try hard. 
th- that's not feedback. That's yeah. just you. Inconclusive, yeah. Th- that's just you reinforcing to them that they failed. Completely. Uh, it's not right, and it's uh, counterproductive, of course. And and then it just separates you as a leader from them. So instead of you trying to win them over, and and so they look forward to your feedback. Now they're not looking forward to your feedback. So now you you damage even the, you're damaging even the 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 major way of you uh, being able to manipulate or manipulate is a bad word, but being able to uh, help them improve. You know. No, no, completely, completely. So then I, I don't have a philosophy that can be said in two sentences, but those five areas are my my philosophy, you know? No, no, but, 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 but you brought up a couple of really interesting points, in fact. Um, I really like the one that you were saying before as well, the, the one about being specific and, and um, in both ways, not only in training in a very specific fashion that translates to the game, but also... That, that reminded me, I read once, and I think it was Ancelotti that said that, that um, he said, I only, he said, when I coach a game, I, I, I only demand from my players things that we have trained. Um, I'm not going to ask them to do something that we haven't trained. And, and I always try to do that with my teams as well, because I feel, I think it's a matter of fairness. Precisely. Um, Exactly. exactly. But that's a really big one. And what you're saying about feedback, it's, it's fundamental. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I mean, I think we're all guilty of charges some, sometimes because, you know, the heat of the moment, the heat of the game, sometimes we say something and then we're like, oh, my God, when we're, we're driving home, we say, like, I shouldn't have said that. Like, there was no, I, was, I didn't say anything specific. I didn't say anything that helped. I, I just marked an error. Um, not giving a solution, and um, but you're right because it damages the relationship with the player so bad that it can it can lead to what you're saying, right? That it's having the player not expect your feed, not want your feedback anymore, and that's the worst thing that can happen. Yes, to to relate it to the Ancelotti example you you brought mm-hmm. up, um, the, the, as a coach, if, if you are very specific on the details and the areas that you are teaching the kids, obviously that makes it much easier to give feedback and to evaluate and to bring to the attention of the players, whether it was executed or not, or whether we have difficulty because the opponent is able to uh, counter that particular Mm -hmm. tactics or whether it is something technical that it's not uh, working very well. Uh, as a coach, if you want to grow as a coach, you have to find that balance between you being able to, in training, uh, implement specific things in order to, when the feedback time comes, you're capable of evaluating and bringing up whether it was good or bad. That way, the players are um, not only focused to uh, achieve the 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 skills and the tactics that uh, you're being, uh, they're being, um, you know, taught and, and agreed on, but also they will feel less pressured and less mentally, uh, the mental anxiety that is usually like at half times or before the mm-hmm. game, uh, because they're clear to what it is. And, and now you're helping them at halftime by, by talking specifically what's working, what's not working, and they can relate to it. Completely. Uh, Completely, it's um, the, the capacity of visualizing what's right and wrong, what failed or, and what worked well actually relaxes because you're, you, you know where the problem is, if there's one. Completely. Now, um, Ariane, something that I wanted to ask you um, is um, how I, let, let me express this one in the best possible manner I'm a foreigner to um, how Hawaii Rush has a reputation actually and, um, and and it's proven it's not just a reputation for developing high level players which is um, in the best possible way it's 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 surprising because the the Hawaii is not such a big market in that sense it's not it's not or at least it's not the, the market that you would easily expect you have a lot of great players coming from and um so everybody thinks everybody we all want to know what's what's um 
what's the secret? How how are you guys achieving that success of developing so many good players? Um, it could be a, a really long discussion, so I will try to make a few points that um, at least can can have everybody realize what I feel has happened here. Um, number one, um, from the beginning, I tried to establish a staff that I felt needs to be consistent for many years. So um, I found people that they were willing to buy into what the club was about. And uh, I made sure that those coaches, those people that participated in this uh, growing of this club were in for the long term. You would two main move, but uh, the turnover has been really, really, really small, mm -hmm. uh, which has given us the opportunity to have quite a bit of consistency and then also the opportunity to grow as a staff for quite a long time now and create such a good balance and, and understanding uh, from top to bottom. So uh, even when somebody moves in and out, there's enough other pieces on the, on the structure to bring everybody else up to speed with what we do and how we do it. Um, mm -hmm. I've always made sure that the staff uh, made decisions together. And um, I never um, felt that I had to say how to do things. And then everybody says, yes, sir. And, and they do it. Uh, it's actually always a discussion and it's always a um the planning and the, the discussing of issues and where we're going has always been a staff uh, approach. Uh, so from the leadership perspective, um, the key to me has been that uh, people have bought in to what we're doing and how we're doing it. And so if we're changing or if we're improving or if we, you know, backtracking or whatever we're doing, we're all doing it. And so exactly. it doesn't create any contradictions or it doesn't create any pockets where people feel like okay that's this is my cocoon and because i don't agree with everybody else i'm just going to try it my way um typically in my opinion that's that's a very key for clubs uh because that could ruin the the whole thing you know if there's no consistency and and buy into what's going on and again the the buy-in is key because it's not buy-in to me it's rather buy-in to all of us, what we're doing. So uh, that's on the leadership part. Uh, on the development part, um, again, it comes down to um, trial and error. It comes down to experience. It comes down to um, years of consistency. So we, we created a, a little bit of a curriculum. You probably yourself are familiar with it. And I don't know if it's a curriculum. It's more of a skeleton. And we basically what we did is we, we divided that skeleton in, in two parts, which most people understand it as a and technical. So what we did is that we put some expectations for our players throughout the years uh, as far as game knowledge is concerned and as far as the technical expectations are concerned. It's a moving target. It's not always... Uh, something that you say here here's the book follow it um, mm -hmm. so we we go through every year and we adjust it and we revisit it and some things move forward some things move away some things are put out some new things come in so we we try to stay as consistent as possible with our, with our message um, with the coaching and with the curriculum uh, just so um, all the players kind of feel that the, the information and the, the things that they're being taught are, are the same, top to bottom. And uh, we've seen that because uh, our younger kids um, actually play almost exactly like the older kids as far as the approach in the game and the style where uh, some of the components are, you know, uh, possession game, attacking game, um, defending high with pressure, uh, uh -huh. not allowing the opponent to, to have the ball too much. Um, so some of these components have been there and then 
consistency have brought a lot of success because they, they get taught from young, early on. And by the time that they are the ages that it really matters, um, and you can see it, they don't even think about it. It's a, it's a reflex. You know, the players just react because that's the way that the game is played. So um, why do we produce players? I think it's a little bit of a tribute to also um, the mentality of the local kids. Mm-hmm. They are very ambitious, very feisty. Um, they want to achieve. Um, they want to be recognized. Uh, they're winners. The mentality is quite uh, positive. And um, I think how that relates to what the club does and the kid does, it mixes well when it comes to the point that our mentality is to play against yourself. And how do I explain that? It means that you're the best opponent of yourself. So mm-hmm. the, the players do not compare themselves with other clubs, do not compare themselves with mainland clubs, do not compare themselves with you know the the next person we we push a lot to psychologically make them understand that their 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 uh their own self um worst critic let's put it that way and so with that mentality uh many of them many of them end up uh being very strong in regards to how they approach training, how they approach competition, um, how their ambitions get um, built up and and, uh, catered to. And so it becomes this kind of healthy kind of environment where they look at each other and say, I want to work hard like him. I want to work hard like her. Um, I want to compete like him, like her. And so it kind of feeds into each other. Um, we, we have the youngest one, the younger age groups right now, that they're starting to become uh, quite consistently like that. So it went from the older ages where our senior groups were basically really, really good at this. And it started in about 16, 17. And by 18, we were really happy how it was going on. But now we're starting to see it at the 13s, 14s, 15s, that they're, they're quite good mentally. They, they understand how to approach the game and what to do with it and the training as well. Very interesting. Oh, very interesting. And I, li- and I, I really like that you, that you said that. Um, I've had so many conversations about that topic. About, um, I, I, I normally try to send the same message to my to my own teams, to my own players that I say, um, rather than trying to compete or be as good as somebody else, like just, just try to be the best version of yourself and, and challenge you, challenge yourself a little bit more every day. And, um, I don't say, I, I don't, I don't just say that by the books. I, I realized that reading a book when I was a grown up already and thinking about what I had done playing, and I realized that we all tend to think that we're really competitive. But in my case, I, I wasn't so... My, my, my motor was not competitive. Was not to, was not to be better than my rival. was to be better than what I was before. That's it. So it was always about challenging myself. Can you be a little bit better this year? And um, so it's really good that, that, that you bring that up because... Um, it's a very common factor, motivational factor in a lot of in a lot of people. It's not always um, it's not it's not always the idea of being better than somebody else. It's actually you know competing against yourself. Yes, and and you have to pair that with the team mentality as well because you cannot just leave it at the individual level. You gotta cater it so it it becomes a team mentality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have a little bit of a unique, um, we're a little lucky. We have a unique situation because we're in an island. And by being very successful in an island, the tendency is that you don't tend to 
like better yourself because you're beating up on everybody, you're winning everything. So the mentality could actually go the wrong way. So we we had to um, be very very careful and very vigilant regard. And and like I said, we took advantage of the fact that because we're on an island, we almost sold it to every kid and every team that you you got to play better today, not because of that team, but because of you. So now the kids starting to look at each other and saying, that's not a good pass. You know, you didn't make the run. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not good enough. Or can we do that better? The timing wasn't working. And now they're not looking at the winning and losing, even though the game was 8-0 for, in our advantage. It didn't matter to them. They were not, uh, well, they were not. I, I got to not be very specific, but it, generally the idea is that it wasn't about the score anymore. It was about, how good the pass was. Was it, was it a spectacular pass where so precise and so good that even if the players were better, they couldn't bend that pass? Completely. Completely. So, how, many, how, how many players were you, were they, I mean, how many players did you have when you started back in 2006, 2007, you said? Um, in 2006, when I moved here, Hawaii Rush... Um, Due to again, because I, I explained earlier, like the, the club was having a tough time because the, the technical director resigned, they went from like 350 players where I took it over was only 191 players. Uh-huh. And how many do you have now? Uh, last year's um, last year's number was somewhere around 760, 770 here in Hawaii. In, uh, Honolulu. Wow. Uh, that does not include the outer island branches, uh-huh. which can bring the number total in the state just over a thousand. Wow, that's incredible growth. How would you, what would you um, how's that accomplished? Well, if, if you took a new club tomorrow, or um, if you had to give advice to somebody starting a club, what would be the first thing that you would that you recommend? Um, obviously I, I got to bring the staff under the same philosophy and under the same understanding and expectations on how to execute a plan. Um, and then the plan would obviously be whether it's growth or, um, quality, uh, or both, uh, which, which I feel comfortable that it has to be both. You can't mm-hmm. grow and not have quality you cannot you cannot have quality and not grow they go hand in hand so if you do one well the other one will follow and once the once everybody kind of buys into what the approach is then um obviously you just got to start implementing the the pieces of the up um i obviously i have where I did it once, so it would be, uh, I feel comfortable that it would be quite easy for me to do it all over. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, you got to take in consideration the, uh, the, where you are, the demographics, um, the, the capabilities, uh, the numbers, how much room for growth, what kind of growth. So uh, there is variances, but I feel that uh, in, in any circumstance that you can be on, regardless of the variances, uh, there is room enough to achieve uh, a situation where your club is run smoothly, creating uh, good environments for learning, and maybe even producing players. You know, why not? Completely. Completely. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Hey, and because um, I don't want to have you here, we, we could talk. We could talk forever. And um, I hope we do next time we see each other as well. Um, and if I'm, after all, all of these years, and, and you're, you're seriously one of the best known and most respected coaches within the Rush Network. And um, I mean that. Um, what would you advise? Um, 
coaches that are you know maybe starting in the in their first couple of years um, in terms in terms of their their own development and furthering their knowledge of the game um, what would be the what would be your advice um my advice would be don't cut corners um don't um don't for a moment think that just because you played or you know the game that you can just fit into anything and just go on with it um you you have to realize as a young coach that there's three very important components for you to grow as a coach as a you know as a leader and it's not only the technical side knowing the game it's also being a good administrator it's also being a good politician and sometimes the last one could be so detrimental that the way you teach the kids or what you teach the kids it's totally irrelevant and i i mean that in some of the age groups and you know uh, in some of the demographics and all that um so as a young coach you're going to find yourself not coaching at the highest level unless you're lucky and unless somebody takes you under their wing and you know presents you with uh, opportunities of such but generally speaking you're going to find yourself working with you know beginners with teams that they're unproven Uh, so a lot of times the young coaches lose sight of the fact there is steps, there's experience, there's time, there's sacrificing, there's uh, um, a lot of hours of work put in there. And they just want to get quickly to that notoriety level where they're recognized. Now, again, if you have good leaders, that might happen because people will recognize how hard they're working and regardless of the results and all that. But that's not always the case. So mm -hmm. there is a mentality in this country and everywhere in the world that our system doesn't allow people to just get up there quickly on top of the pyramid. You have to put in the work. And the moment that a young coach understands that, look, I'm in for the long haul and I'm going to put my work in and this is how it goes, then I think they have a chance. I think they're, they're in the right track and um, with patient and patience and, and uh, sacrifice and a little bit of uh, uh, will, I think they, they, can, they can make it. There's nothing to stop them from becoming good coaches, you know? Mm -hmm. Completely. Completely. No, no, I, I agree with that. And even by, by my own experience, and this is obvious anyway to say, but you can't replace experience, you know, and you, you gotta have the patience, like you're saying, and to, to go through the steps, to go through the mistakes and, um, and keep, keep reflecting and, and stay humble. But no matter how many, again, no matter how many books you, you read, no matter how good, you know, the game, um, you need that experience. You, you need that experience on the field, making mistakes and, you know, thinking about what you did and, reflecting and making it a little bit better every day um there are no there are no shortcuts for it um some, but anyway some yeah of game some aspects of the game can be taught by just watching some aspects of the game can be taught by a book um but at, at the end of the day i think it, it's not the material that you're reading or you're watching helps you to become a better coach is your ability to break that down and um, assimilate it and then later implement it and then obviously quantify it to the players. So now you not only taught it to them, but you're also able to uh, give feedback based on that standard that you set up. Mm -hmm. So you can break the game down in thousand pieces. And I think as a coach, if you wanted to be an analytical coach and someone that understands the game and, you know, can uh, find ways to uh, adjust its, uh, the team and, and adjust the players, is that your ability to little by little with time uh, assimilate all these little pieces, which could come again from going to a course or reading or, or watching a video, whatever. 
and then you assimilate it and then you're comfortable with it. So putting time into that principle of quantifying the game in so many pieces that you could possibly manage, that's basically what's going to improve you as a coach. No, no, completely. Fully agree with you. Um, Arian, um, we always do, um, in our podcast, we always like um, giving the guest, apart from thanking you very much for all this time um, and for sharing what you know, um, we, we always want to give you one last minute for you to say something, if there's something that I didn't ask you, something that you would like to share with the community of coaches that we have within the rush, um, please take, uh, please take this, this next minute. Um, I don't think I, I need a minute, Pablo. Um, <laughs> I wanted to thank you and uh, everybody in the organization that is putting all this work together and trying to put all these resources out there available for everybody to take advantage. And um, again, it's a unique situation we, we're in, and I think we should fully take advantage of it and be proud of it. And like I said, hopefully whatever we chatted over here all quite long. Some people might have already snoozed. You know? <laughs> but uh, if, we, if we could make a dent on helping anybody you know, think of their job in, in a better way, then I'm, I'm delighted to do that. Um, other than that, I'm happy to be part of the rush and I will be part of the rush for a long time. And So I look forward to doing whatever I can to help anybody. Very good, very good, Arian. Thank you very much for real, man. Eh? And um, hopefully we get we get together soon. Thank you, Pablo. Look forward to seeing you guys again. It's been a long time. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Let me tell you about Anchor and how great it is. It is the easiest way to make a podcast. And let me explain. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm telling you, right from your phone. It's the easiest thing. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening to Coach's Education exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network.